Hello, and welcome to another episode of our podcast recorded at the Seventh-day Adventist Church of Adairsville. I'm Jared, and we're delighted you're listening. But if you're ever in the area, we'd be even more excited if you dropped in to say hi and enjoyed some good Southern food with us. Uh, how many evangelists are here this morning? Just curious. A couple? Okay, three or four of us. All right. The job site simply hired currently has 4,235 evangelist jobs open. Those are all not religious jobs. Some of you may not have known that Guy Kawasaki coined the term chief brand evangelist under Steve Jobs years back. So what is an evangelist? If we combine Webster's and Oxford dictionaries, these are a few definitions that we get. An evangelist is a zealous advocate of something. An evangelist is one who seeks to convert others to the Christian faith. An evangelist is someone who talks about something with enthusiasm. Now, since I know many of you, I know that there are many evangelists here this morning. If you're around me long enough, you'll know that I'm very passionate about starting new businesses. If you're around Annette long enough, you'll know she's very passionate about animals. If you're around my nephew Harvey long enough, you'll know he's very passionate about pizza. So I think there's a lot of evangelists here this morning. Perhaps it's that new food you want to share about. That new app you got, that movie you watched, that show you liked, that book you loved, that podcast that's great, or that place you've got to go to. We all have within us this desire to be an evangelist, to tell other people about this experience that we had. And some are capitalizing on that with social media, that we can have such a great experience with a brand that we want to tell other people about that. So, how do we become a more effective evangelist? How do we do that? Is it through billboards, social media marketing, radio, TV ads, flyers in the mail? Is the best way to get someone else excited about something you're excited about through information and words, or is it just more than that? Is it what you say, or is it how you say it? So let's test it out. There's this new documentary, it's about 90 minutes long, about this religious group and the FBI and the ATF. They're in a building, it's in Texas, happened in the 90s, and you should probably watch it. How many of you are ready to watch that? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody likes me enough to just let them watch? Okay. All right, here's my second take. I just watched a film that is the best documentary I've ever seen in my life. It's called Waco, Madman or Messiah. It's about the standoff in 1993 between the Branch Davidians and the FBI and the ATF. And I, church, I want to tell you, you've got to watch this. To anyone out there who's a Seventh-day Adventist, you really got to watch this. How many of you are at all interested in watching it? Okay, a couple. All right, so similar information, but different delivery. According to Albert Morabian's study on communication, 
it showed that 93% of communication is nonverbal. Only 7% of communication are the actual words that we're using. So let's take this into the church world for a second. Some people in the world believe that all this world needs is to hear a message of words about a story called the gospel, and that then this story of Earth 1.0 can come to a crescendo. We grab this from the verse in Matthew 24 and verse 14. It says, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness unto all the nations, and then the end shall come. But there's a couple problems with this theory. The first, if this gospel message is just information, then Jesus could have easily spoke loud enough from heaven so that all could hear this information. Or if the gospel message is just information, all of us in one night, as many people throughout Scripture show, could have had a dream that God sent and gave us some information for 60 minutes, and that mission would have been accomplished. Or there's others who say, no, it, just, it has to go to the whole world. If that's the case, then in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23, we are told that the gospel was preached to all the world in the first century. So I'd like to suggest that the key word in Matthew 24 verse 14 is the how. The nonverbal. It says it will be shared as a witness. For those of us who've experienced any event, the only way you can accurately share about that event with someone else is you were there. You experienced this thing, this place, this event. And then the best way to share it is to go to someone face to face and share it with them personally. And what a lot of people in the world today want to know is, you know, there's over 2.2 billion Christians who have this belief system in this story, but what I'm just kind of perplexed on is, what benefit does that have in your life? Does it actually make your life better? Or is it just, my neighbor believes this story, it happened 2,000 years ago, and he's a jerk. She's mean all the time at work talking about her Christianity. The question a lot of people want to know is, does this understanding and belief in a story called the gospel actually make you a better person? And does it make the people around you better people? Would they say they are better off because of the belief system that you have? The key to being an effective evangelist is that it's you sharing a message that you've personally experienced. And then you share that with someone else, not by proxy, not by billboard, not by text message, but personally face-to-face -face, face -face with someone. Apple markets their products with information-rich, visually engaging commercials. We're advertised these products we've got to have. Much like this sermon, all it is is marketing of information that people listen to and consider whether whatever the product we would agree on is, is worth it. I think this is more true than ever today when we're bombarded with all these bits and pieces of 
advertising and marketing tactics. Media Dynamics released a study that showed the average American is exposed to nearly 360 promotional ads each day. Less than half of those we realize, and only a small fraction can we actually recall. Every day, we're being told there are things that you need to buy that you do not have. Your life would be better if only you had this thing. Today, approximately one out of every three people on the planet claim to be Christians. That's more than two billion people who claim to believe a story about a man named Jesus who came to the earth 2,000 years ago, healed people, was willingly killed, and then was raised from the dead with the promise that he would return to the earth to end the pain and sin and selfishness that we see all around us. Now, whether all of us or many people in the world believe all the details of this story or not, the fact is that the majority of the world, including Christians and Muslims, so now we're over the four billion mark, believe that a man named Jesus came to the world and did good. So we can say that one man's life has convinced at least one out of every three people in the world to live differently, and I'd like to suggest that influence alone should get our attention. So one man comes to the earth, searches out 12 individuals. These 12 individuals spend three years in close contact with this person, through these 12 evangelists, the entire world hears the story of Jesus from men who had witnessed his life and had called him friend. Twelve individuals who had a personal experience knowing Jesus took a message to all of the world in the first century. And if you think about the dynamics of that world and the dynamics of this world, they're strangely similar. We're told Andrew went to Greece, Thomas to India, Matthew to Africa, just to name a few. What was it that compelled these guys to devote their lives to becoming zealous advocates, the definition of an evangelist, of this thing called the gospel? This idea of having a personal experience with someone or something is something I think we all can relate with. And so there's a story, if you want to turn with me to uh, 1 Kings chapter 10, there's a story that I think exemplifies this more than any other, and it's very relevant for our day. So here it is. It's the story, as you go there, of King Solomon. King Solomon is now the king of Israel. Saul had failed. David had just died. And at the age of 20 years old, it's around 970 B.C., Solomon has become king at the age of 20 years old. And he has a dream. And God speaks to him in this dream. He says, Solomon, I'll give you whatever you want. Ask it of me. And he says, I'd like wisdom to know between right and wrong and good and evil. And God says, you've chosen a good thing. Since you didn't ask for anything selfish, I'm also going to give you wealth and influence. So Solomon becomes famous for this wisdom. His net worth at the peak of his life was, uh, in, our, in our day, would have been $2.2 trillion. So I think Jeff Bezos is around the top now at 100 and something billion. It fluctuates every week. But $2.2 trillion would have been Solomon. 
Solomon, in, the, in this story of 1 Kings chapter 10, we read, someone has heard of how wise he is. And as you look through the different cultures, the one that seems to make the most sense is Solomon was doing so much business that someone traded with him a lot of uh, goods from the south, this business person of the kingdom of Sheba. And as the legend has it, he goes back to Sheba and says to the queen, this Solomon is all that in a bag of chips. you got to go meet him. So she goes to meet him. Now, something Solomon lived by uh, is a, a principle that we find in Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus says, whatever it is you'd want someone to do for you, do to them. That's where we get the idea of the golden rule. So here in 1 Kings chapter 10 is where we pick up our story. The queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with hard questions. Uh, a lot of people see that it was actually an art form in that time to test someone's wisdom with riddles. So a lot of versions will even say she came with riddles to test Solomon. This must have been a very shrewd and wise woman. She comes to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, verse 2, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. Now, because there's not anything exact, different scholars talk about, well, where did she really come from? First off, they're all pretty clear that she brought more frankincense than ever in history. Like the largest shipment of frankincense ever she brings with her. And frankincense grew primarily in two places, on each side of the Red Sea. One in Yemen, what we know as Yemen today, and the other in Ethiopia. So she brings all these things from the kingdom of Sheba. And here we go, in verse uh, 4. Or no, verse 3. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain it to her. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon. I love how it says the word seen rather than heard. Back to that point of you have to experience something, and, and what's the phrase we use? See it for yourself. So after she had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, Chris, you'll appreciate this, the house that he had built, there is something impressive when you see someone's abilities in architecture. And you step back and say, wow, they know what they're doing. So she witnesses the, the architectural skills of Solomon. Uh, if Jenny was here, Jim, she'd appreciate this. The food on his table. She's so impressed by the food on his table. And, and she's, we're mentioning these as she sees his wisdom. The next one, the seating of his servants. Think about it. She goes here, she's in this place, and one of the things she's blown away with the wisdom of Solomon is, Look how your staff seats themselves. What's the next thing? The service of his waiters. What does that look like? It's such a rare thing in the world when we actually get a good customer experience anymore that I can somewhat relate with this. That when you get one, you're like, oh my word, this company deserves all my business. Take my money, please. Right? So, so in this moment she says, I mean, the service of your waiters... And then the next one, and the way they dress. She's recognizing the wisdom of Solomon and how his employees and staff dress. His cupbearers. 
his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. So she'd heard the information. But verse 7, However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I've heard. It's rare in the world today that the actual product exceeds the marketing that preceded it. But she confirms this. In verse 8, she makes a very interesting statement. If you've ever been around a company and employees, usually you can tell if that's a good place by just talking to some of the employees, uh, the staff, the janitors, the whoever it is in the building, and you'll find out quickly if this is a nice place to work or not. But she summarizes this with Solomon. Maybe she's shocked by it. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. And then from all of this, she has a response. Blessed be the Lord your God. Now, now as, as the Jewish culture describes it, and, and Jewish historians, they said the Queen of Sheba was known particularly because she was the, the most infamous sun worshiper in all the world. And one of the only ones not under Solomon's influence. So, so this is not her context. This is not her religious system. She's come to this place of Solomon, and she sees all this stuff, and this is her response. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. And then verse 10, she gives him all this stuff. So here's an interesting part of the story. She goes back to the kingdom of Sheba. And you know, you have different cultures arguing over. She was Arabic. She was from Yemen. She was Ethiopian. She was from Ethiopia. But as I've studied it out, it looks like the kingdom of Sheba spanned the Red Sea, and it was in both of these places. So we can give both countries credit. But she goes back to where I guess the palace was in Ethiopia. Ethiopian culture... And other religious histories, only the Jewish history doesn't say this, her and Solomon uh, got very intimate on that trip. She goes home, and she has a child. That child becomes king, and that child's influence is heavily influenced by Solomon's culture and religion for nearly 3,000 years. All the way up to, in the 70s, with a gentleman named Haile Selassie. And so Ethiopian culture is entrenched in this story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba and the descendants of this holy line from David through Ethiopia. So she had experienced something that she wasn't expecting. And she goes back, and for thousands of years, an entire culture is influenced by it. You probably have it in your bulletin. It says, a kind, courteous Christian is the most powerful argument in favor of the gospel that can be produced. And so whatever it was like being around Solomon took her breath away. She literally says, there was no more spirit in me. 
Is that the experience of when people come in contact with us? Have you seen how these people conduct business? Have you seen how orderly they are? Have you seen how their employees act? Their employees are actually happy. To enthusiastically share with someone, you've got to have experienced something personally. And in this world today, it is the most tempting thing ever to think that information only will get the message out, whether it's for your business or for your faith. Word of mouth, person-to-person, face-to-face marketing is the first step. But actually getting to know someone closely, intimately over time is what convinces people there's something you believe that I want to know more about. The prophet Jeremiah says it like this. Don't let the wise brag of their wisdom. Don't let heroes brag of their exploits. Don't let the rich brag of their riches. If you brag, brag of this and this only, that you understand and know me. I am the God who exercises loving kindness. I do what's right and set things right and fair. I delight in those who do the same things. These are my children. Thank you for listening. For more messages and food for your spiritual life, go to adairsvillesba.com.